so turn to First Corinthians, and we're going to start in in chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one. So if you've spent much time in Corinthians, especially the first letter to the uh, church at Corinth, you realize that they're kind of messed up. They got some pretty crazy problems. Um, And Paul's first letter is him trying to redirect them. He gets pretty harsh with them because he knows what they ought to be. Uh, and so, the, the, this first letter to Corinth um, really helps you see God's expectation for a church. Uh, so let's let's start in chapter one with just the question: What is a church? What is a church? How does Scripture see it? All right. So verse one: Paul called by the will of God. To, an, uh, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So we have to understand that this is from Paul. And Paul has authority like nobody else in this room or like no one you've ever met. Paul had direct revelation encounter with the risen Savior, with the risen Christ. And if you read Galatians he got his direct understanding of the gospel and the church and everything that pertains to it directly from Christ. If you read Galatians, he says, I didn't go and talk to Peter and John and James to figure it all out. He said, I stayed away from them on purpose to, get, to show that I had received what I received directly from Christ. And then he later went on and confirmed with them, hey, we have the same thing, right? So when you see Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, he has been sent directly by Christ to be a messenger for the gospel. And that's what apostle means, one who's sent, right? And so his authority comes directly from Christ. Um, No one has apostolic authority anymore. Just by the way, I don't. Paul does. The apostles did. But no one passed that. So when you're flipping through the channels and you see Apostle Jimmy on TV, he ain't an apostle. An apostle is one who has directly been sent by Christ. Right? That's the the makeup, what it took to be called an apostle. Uh, so he writes that, and he writes it in a way to let the church know. And he, they know him. He's, he's been there. Uh, but he writes that to let them know, hey, I've got authority in what I say. So uh, sec, uh, number two, here's where we get to see a little bit of makeup of, of what a church is. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, with all those who are in every place 
who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 2. The first thing I want us to see is, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So to the church of God that is in Corinth. Okay, this is the next few sentences are going to tell us what the makeup is of that church. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Okay, that word sanctified in the Greek is, and I'm going to tell, I don't like to usually pronounce the Greek word, but you'll see why I do that, uh, why I do in a second. Uh, Hagiadzo is the Greek word, hagiadzo, which basically means to make holy. Which I know we can say holy, but what does holy really mean? But it means, imagine, okay, you've got a pen full of calves, right? You've got a pen full of calves, and you've got two you need to get out. You either take your horse in there, or you go in there, and what do you do? You, you literally cut them out. You cut them out, and you get them into the other pen. That's, that's literally what the Greek word hatsiatso, or however you say it, Hagiazo means to cut out, right? There, there's a group of something, and if you have been sanctified, you have been cut out of the group. Now, in the context of Jesus, right, because they have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, they have been set apart in Christ. They're no longer like the others who are in the pen because those who are still in the pen aren't in Christ. Those who have been cut out are now, they're cut out because they're in Christ, right? Um, Let's see. So separated, and we know it's not a pen of calves, but it's the world, right? They've been separated for the holy purpose, for a purpose by God, for God. Just like when God made the tabernacle. He said, I want you to make that piece, that piece, that piece, that piece. Make it this way, make it that way. I need those candlesticks. I need those rugs. I need the, all the things that God had made for his service in the temple or tabernacle. He said, sanctify it, consecrate it. Set it apart for my sake. That's holy. That's sanctified, consecrated. So the people in Corinth, I should say the church in Corinth, Paul says they're made up of people who have been cut out of the world. The church is made of people who have been cut out of the world in Christ. Now notice the next thing it says, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or called to be saints with all in every place. So now notice the word saints. So sanctified was hagiazo. Saints is hagios or hagios. It's the same word. Sanctified is the verb, the action of being set apart. Saints are the words, the noun, the adjective of those who have been set apart. Does that make sense? Are we tracking? So they got hagiazod, 
And now they're hagiazos. Right? They were sanctified in Christ, and now they're saints. Okay? That's, that's what they mean. So they're, they're saints, but not only are they saints, but they're saints together. They're saints together. So this is where we go back up to the top of verse 2, where it says, to the church. Okay? So just knowing what the Greek word for church means helps us actually bring this all together. So the, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means it means um, to be called out. So sounds a lot familiar to the sanctifying part, to be called out of something in order to be brought into something. So when we, so the church means if you say, if he says to the church of God that is in Corinth, he's talking about a group of people who have come together, who have been called out of something and called into something. They're coming together. It's an assembly. They've been called out of something to come assemble in something. And they're assembling together in what? In Christ. Right? So those three words are all interconnected. Now, the church, the word isn't the same, but it's the same idea called out of something into something else. Right? So to the church of God, those who have been called out of the world and called to come together, the church of God. Now notice that that, that means it's His. It's His. The church of God. It just, it's just possessive. You could just said God's church in Corinth. That's what, that, that's what he's trying to get at. He is the one possess, to possess it. Why? Because he is the one who's bought it. Right? Yeah. He bought it with a price. Okay? So, the first thing that we see here, when we look at Paul's letter to Corinth, is we see that the church isn't just a group of people who just happen to gather, get, gather together, but they're a group of people that God himself has called out of the world and brought together in Christ. And we, but when we use those words, the hagiazo and the hagiazo, that doesn't just mean that there's a separation, like they're no longer together, but it means that they're separated for God. So if you're separated for God's purpose, are you going to act differently than those whom you've been called out of? You're going to act different. Right. And so that, there we see holy. And that's this idea. God has always, the, 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 we've always understood and God's plan was always is that those whom he calls, he calls to make different. He calls to holiness. And so a church, a true church, is one who is being made holy by God, but also who, are, who want to be holy, right? Because that is what God has called us to. Now, if God called us and he wasn't holy, then that wouldn't be a big deal. It's like, oh, we can do whatever we want. But that's not the case, right? So uh, let's look at a few more a few more passages 
Huh? That way won't get you to heaven. No. Uh, let's look at a few more passages. 3.16 in 1 Corinthians. So what we're going to see over the next few quick passages is Paul emphasizing... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I left out something that's really important. The, the hagiazo and the hagiazo, the, the, the word that those two go back to just means pure. Right? So the, sanctif- the sanctifying, the cutting out, and the saints, those, those two words, the root word is pure. Like, like you're, you got that, that water filter on your refrigerator so that it makes that water just pure as can be. You don't want any dirt in it. You don't want any mess in it. You don't want any calcium in it. You don't want any of this in it. You've got a filter to make your water pure. That's what God has done to the people whom he's called together in the church, is he's purifying them. All right, so look at, look at 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? You have to keep in mind who he's talking to, the church of God in Corinth. Set apart. Saints, do you know that you are, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. God's temple is holy and you are that temple. He's talking to the church at Corinth. You are God's temple. So you look back to Genesis. Where did God's presence dwell? In the garden, right? And then you move forward in time. Uh, Where did God reside after the Exodus? In a tent, in the tabernacle. He wanted to dwell with his, his people, Israel. And so he said, make a tent for me and I will dwell there. And then as, you know, they, they, they settled in, uh, into Canaan and eventually uh, Solomon builds. Not, they're like, okay, God, we're going to have to get you out of this tent. We're going to have to put you in a temple. And so they built a temple and God's presence dwelt there. Eventually left because of Israel's nonsense. But then he returned. God's presence returned to earth. Can someone tell me the next way that God's presence returned to earth, to man. Boom. Which one of you said that? Good job. In Christ. When Jesus was born, he didn't come, the presence of God didn't come back to the temple. It came into Christ, into Jesus of Nazareth. He was now the temple of God on earth. Well, what happened when Jesus went back to the Father? His presence is gone. What do they do? He sends the Holy Spirit. And now the presence of God dwells in the church to those who have been sanctified in Christ, to the saints who are called by Christ and call upon the name of Christ. The church now houses the presence of God on earth. That's that's our definition. That's who we are. The temple of God. Of God. So, do we want to have a dirty temple? Do we want to have a temple that is out of place and all strode about? No, it's holy. 
That has always been what, think about it. And we're going we're gonna to look at what happens when you, uh, well, think about all of the order and instruction that God gave to um, Moses in order to build the tent. It's exhausting, the detail and the specificity of how they were supposed to build that tent. Why? Because it was God's tent, right? And so now we are God's tent or temple, and it's the same thing. He has an expectation because it's, it's where he dwells. And so that is, the, that, that is how we are defined as the church, the temple of God, and it is holy. All right, now look at verse or chapter 5. So then we get into this mess in Corinth. Um, we get into this mess in Corinth where some really ugly things were happening. And we'll just say that a son had married his uh, stepmom after his dad had died. That was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Scandalous. That was very wrong and immoral. Uh, and it was a very bad, very bad thing. And, and Corinth, the church at Corinth, they were putting up with it. And that was even more upsetting to Paul. That they were just being like, oh, okay. So what were they doing? They were letting the temple of God go filthy. Filthy, unclean. So look at uh, chapter, chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, we'll start at 9. Chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to so associate with sexual immoral people. So he's referring not just to uh, the one instance, but there have been more apparently. Verse 10, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world, of the greedy and swindlers or the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So remember, the church that he's writing to, they have been called out out of what? The world. And he's saying, I told you not to deal with sexually immoral people, but I didn't say the sexual immoral people of the world. Because if you're, if, if you're going to go and, and live your life in any town, are you ever going to avoid someone who is sexually immoral? No, you cannot avoid it. That's what he says. He goes, you would have to go out of the world in order to do it. But look what he says in verse 11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, meaning another believer. Not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? He means people outside the church. What, what, what good is it going to do for me to judge someone who is not in Christ? They're obviously acting that way because why? They're not in Christ. So judge them all you want, but you ain't going to get nowhere. And he's eventually going to say in chapter 6, but don't forget, you used to be that way. Right? You used to be that way. 
But look what he says in verse 13. God judges those outside. And then what does he say? Purge the evil person from among you. He says, clean house. You've dirtied my temple. Clean it. The church is called to holiness. And that's what that's how he designs the church in order that not just he didn't tell a pastor at Corinth to clean the church. He puts it on the church, on the people. Right? You as members of a church, we're, I don't know if you realize it, but people, it, back in the day, we would be called congregationalists. Meaning, uh, we believe that the church in the whole has authority on issues like cleaning house. When I say cleaning house, purge the evil person from among you. Or, or for... Um, the church, the, the congregation has authority in uh, bringing about pastor, elders, and deacons. Like that's that God has given the church that authority, not not just a person, right, or a group of elders. Now he's called he's called men and a, and, and elders to lead, but they're not the way that we see it as the sole authority, but that they are there to lead in order that the church might be in unity in those types of things, right? So he, God expects the church. Now this, this is why, this connects back to why it's so important to understand what we believe and to have it before us. Because if all of you as members have been, not only do you have authority together because of Christ, you have authority together but you have a responsibility. He tells the church, purge the evil person from among you, right? You have the responsibility to keep the house clean. And so if, if people come in with all sorts of wind and the wind and waves of doctrines and deceitful schemes and cunning, if we don't know what we believe, how can we, how can we keep the clean house? How can, we, how can we keep in the direction of holiness? We do it by guarding the truth. And that's, I'm kind of going back and forth. That's why, that's why there have been creeds and confessions from the first century after, or from the first century after Christ ascended into heaven. There was already heresy going on within this, this I'm sorry, the second century, first century, I always get that messed up. The first century that leaders, elders had to come together and say, what they're saying about Jesus is wrong. We need to write down the truth that says the Bible states this. And when we come together uh, in our, in our uh, meeting on the 3rd, I want to go through with y'all those things that the church has had to take stances on for the sake of people trying to bring um, heresy into what the Bible says. And so there have always been points along history where people had to say, we, do you hear what they're saying? We need to get together and we need to see what the Bible says and we need to write it down and say, this is truth, right? This is truth. Okay, so um, 
here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, we're going to go look at 1 Peter and then I'm going to quit. And then when we come back next week, because I don't want to get too far ahead because you don't have your books yet. Um, and when we come, to back, come back next Sunday evening, we'll look at uh, what's being spoke of in the introduction. So turn with me to 1 Peter and this will be our last, our last um, discussion or look at what God... God's intent for the church is as it pertains to holiness, as it pertains to being um, different from the world. Okay, so let's start at verse 13 of chapter 1. So here we've got Peter. And how, how does he start his, his letter? An apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's, okay, again... I've got authority. I've been sent by Jesus. And he's given me authority to say these things. He has taught me. All right, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Again, Peter is also talking to um, saints, right? Mm -hmm. to, to the church. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So there. He is referring to you were cut out of the world. Right? So what's he saying? Don't go back to it. Don't go back to it. But be obedient. Don't be conformed to those passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15. But as he who called you is holy. Now, let me remind you that this is, this is so cool to see these two different apostles saying the exact same thing. How does Paul start his letter? He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Now, what does Peter say in verse 15? But as he who called you, as he is holy. See, he's holy on a whole nother level. He's holy, meaning there ain't nothing like him. He's so holy. That's basically what it is. There's nothing like He's, he's not even been cut out of something. He sets the example, the standard. He, as we say, they broke the mold, right? And nothing like God. But this is the crazy part. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That's a tall task. As we done said, they broke the mold, right? There's nobody like them. But yet we as the church are called to be like him. We are, we are his representatives. We are to be conformed into his image. Now look what he says as he finishes in 16. And he, all he's doing is quoting the Old Testament, on, uh, to be honest. Since it is written... 
You shall be holy. He's quoting God in the Old Testament. I believe it's uh, Leviticus. You shall be holy for I am holy. That's the expectation of the church. And that is the... You, you can't skirt around it. If you try to skirt around that as a church, you aren't a church. You're just a bunch of people who gather together. That's all it is. And so, uh, and we could go throughout the rest of the epistles and see this over and over again. And if you look... If you look at the beginning of each epistle, you see something similar about this calling, about being set apart in Christ. Um, it's who we are. It's who the church is. We just happen to be a small portion of it who meet in Byron, Arkansas, who live in Fulton County. We are a small local church, a visible we should be a visible representation of the body, the universal body of Christ. And so when people come here, they see saints set apart, sanctified for the purpose of God. Right? And that's, that's where we always want to be going. And that's really what Paul, when I talked in, about Ephesians 4 last week, that's what Paul was talking about. Uh, he gives shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, so to equip the saints, the holy ones, the set-apart ones, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here's the thing about it. We're not going to achieve that, but we're going we're gonna to strive for it because that's what we're called to do. And that day that we hit mature manhood and the fullness of the stature of Christ, guess what? We're going to be looking at Him. And we don't want to be looking at Him and... And we're like, well, we knew we were going to get there. We were just waiting on you to come back. No. No, He has called us to do that while we are here. All right. So let, we'll, we'll, finish, we'll close there. And uh, uh, next week, uh, Lord willing, I should have the books Monday, and then I'll bring them Sunday. We'll go through the introduction, and, uh, and then we'll peruse on through. Uh, the rest of it. Any questions, thoughts?